2 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, chapter number 2. Today we're going to continue our series. I'm going to be um, a little bit quick today just to, uh, uh, because of the activities that we have to follow. But we've been talking about different metaphors throughout the Word of God and how they apply to us. And today uh, we're going to go down on the farm. We're going to talk about being a farmer. And uh, this is a, a subject that uh, sometimes is, 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 is preached often because of the illustrations that are given. But my prayer is today that as we look at this once again that we can be encouraged um, because I believe with all my heart, as I just mentioned to you just a moment ago, uh, that right now as we're seeing all the things, and we talked about this last week, and we're seeing all the things unfold in our country and around the world, I believe that the coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. I believe it's very close. And because of that, I believe that we have an obligation and we have a responsibility as a church to go out and to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ and to bring them in and to share with them that there is hope in a hopeless world and that there is grace and mercy in a merciless, a merciless world and that God is who he says he is because I believe that Jesus Christ is returning soon and we have a lot of work to do. Farming is hard work. It should not be the occupation of choice for one who is expecting recreation and relaxation. Amen? How many of you here, uh, and I typically don't have uh, uh, a raise of hands, but how many of you have a garden? May have gardens. We have lots of gardeners around here. Wonderful. Um, you know that this year has been very warm. Amen? And it's been very dry. And, uh, uh, you know, farming is something that's difficult work. It's hard work. When I was growing up, my dad uh, uh, planted a two-acre uh, uh, vegetable garden. It was for the Wimberleys and for all of the church. <laughs> Except the Wimberleys were the only ones that worked it. Um, and so we had this large garden, and I remember going out, and Dad would would get the, uh, the tiller and we'd start tilling up the ground and the land and, and uh, then he would start making the rows and, and uh, then he'd get the seeds and he'd tell us to get on our hands and knees, amen, and plant the seeds. And so we'd plant the seeds and then we'd set the sprinklers up. And, and as a little boy, I can remember coming home from school every day and running out to the garden because there was one thing that I wanted to see. I wanted to see the sprouts. And I would remember coming home from school and, and going out to that garden and I would see for the very first time that sprout. And that sprout told me two things. Number one, it told me that the harvest was on the way. And the second thing it told me was is that work was on the way. <laughs> because with those sprouts come weeds, right? With those sprouts come, come work. And can I tell you that farming is such as that, and that is what God has compared um, our lives to. So it is with farming in God's harvest field. It's not simple and it's not easy, but if we are faithful, the harvest will truly be glorious. To gain a bountiful harvest, the farmer must perform several significant tasks. The harvest is simply the visible result of those preliminary steps performed faithfully. The steps are not as noticeable as the rich harvest. When you, when you begin to see the rich harvest, the, the, all the work and all the things that you've done previously seems to go away. But without them, there would be 
no harvest. If you have your Bibles, just one verse today, if you'd stand with me. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, we're going to read in verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, The husbandman, or the farmer, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. The husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time that we have together today. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage us, give us clarity of thought, give us clarity of mind. May the Holy Spirit of God work in our hearts and may we see how pivotal, how, how pivotal it is that we uh, uh, be uh, uh, good laborers in the harvest of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. It's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. If you're in the habit of taking, you may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes on the back of your bullets and there's an outline. Number one, the farmer prepares. The farmer prepares. There's always a preparation process when we talk about uh, farming. There, there has to be a, a preparation of the land. The farmer must first prepare the soil. Luke chapter 13 verses 6 through 9 gives the story of a man who understood that preparation precedes Harvest. Preparation precedes harvest. The Bible says in Luke chapter 13, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. So, so, so the, a, a man came to the fig tree that he had planted. He doesn't see any fruits, and he's concerned. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it? The ground. In other words, let's get rid of the tree because it's not bearing any fruit. Why should it be allowed to stay in the ground? And the answering, the dresser said, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. Now that's exciting. That's what you were thinking. I know. I just said it out loud, all right? Verse 9. And if it bear fruit well... And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So the dresser said, in other words, let's give it one more chance. Let's give it one more shot. Look at me, church, for a moment. Every single one of you. I, I, if we don't get any other lesson out of this message, this is what it should be. God is always willing to give us another chance. God is not willing to cut us down. He's not willing to throw us out or throw us away. He's willing to give us another chance. As a matter of fact, as the, as the little old song goes in, in, in children's church, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? He, he's still constantly working and striving on me. And so, and so the dresser said, let's give it one more shot to give the fig tree another opportunity to bear fruit. The dresser of this vineyard promised to dig about it and dung it, to break up the ground around the tree and to fertilize it. You see, preparation must come before harvest. Letter A, the clearing. The clearing of the land. Uh, when you talk about the farmer prepares, the first thing he has to do is clear the land. It would be ineffective and sometimes impossible to plant ground that has not been cleared. I remember whenever we would go out as kids, and, and, and we'd have all winter long, if that's what you call what Florida has is winter. But you go out, and, 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 and there would be weeds everywhere, and, and it would be grown up, and it didn't even look like a garden had been there. My dad would call a friend of his, and he'd bring his tractor over with discs on it. 
and he would begin to disc the ground. And he would begin to break it up. He would begin to, to work on the, the, the ground to make it ready to be planted. You see, it would be impossible to plant ground that has not been cleared. We must prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the word of God by removing anything that hinders God from working in our hearts and lives. Are you with me this morning, church? You see, in order for God to work on our hearts, it must be clear from anything that hinders it. Let me say this, even as good, fertile, productive farmland must be kept clear of weeds, stumps, roots, and rocks, our hearts and lives must be clear of that which displeases God and hinders his work. You know, we talked about last week, we talked about prayer and the importance of prayer and reading our Bible and all those things, and you're going to hear me talk again about it this morning. But can I tell you something, that we will never make progress, we will never be fruitful in our lives if we are hanging on to things that displease God. Are you with me? We, we, will never, we will never make progress. We will never see fruit if there are things in our lives that displease God. And you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the things that come between me and God. I'm talking about the things that hinder my relationship. Listen to me. This is where I'm concerned about. My concern is, is that we are beginning uh, uh, more and more in our society and more and more in church to justify the sin in our lives instead of removing it. It's easier to justify it than it is to get rid of it. We look at the word of God and we say, oh, that might be just be a suggestion today. Listen, there are no suggestions in the word of God. God is very clear that sin is sin and that hasn't changed. Just because we can, in our minds, justify it does not make it right. We must clear the weeds. We must clear the stumps and the roots and the rocks in our lives that are hindering the relationship between me and God. You say, Pastor, you don't know how hard that is. You don't know how difficult that is. Listen to me, church. I have the same flesh. I have, I have the same uh, 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 temptations and everything that everyone else has. And I fall short many times. But it's our job to stand back up and say, you know what? I'm going to clear the path once again. I'm going to clear the weeds once again so that God can become productive in my life again. We easily recognize that clearing our lives for God's service includes removing sin. However, what we sometimes overlook is things that may not be inherently sinful, but have taken a wrong position in our lives. We have to be careful about what gets between me and God. What becomes more important than God? And I'm talking about our priorities. I'm talking about the things that we do every single day. I'm talking about the things that prevent us from serving God, the things that prevent us from coming to church, the things that prevent us from doing what God has told us and called us to do. These are things that, that in our minds are not sinful, but they have taken the wrong position in our hearts and in our lives. Be cautious about what you put in your lives because it could overtake your life. Letter B, the plowing. First we had the clearing. And now we have the plowing of the land. One of the most important inventions in American history was the steel plow invented by John Deere. Uh, the steel plow became a great asset to the Midwest because it could easily cut through the dense soil of the area and help to turn what, called, what was called a great desert into a breadbasket for the entire country. It was only when the soil was broken up 
that vast fields of wheat, barley, and corn could be grown. Farmers understood that hard, sun-baked earth will not absorb moisture. Even a melting snowpack would just run off and not soak in. Plowing and disking the ground allows the water to sink deeply into the soil and provide the moisture that will allow the crops to grow. So it is in our own Christian life. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse number 3. Here it is. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your what? Fallow ground. And sow not among the thorns. Listen, sometimes God has to get in and he has to break us. Now can I tell you something this morning? That is not an exciting process. To be broken by God. To break up the fallow ground. To, to, to sow not among the thorns. I believe with all my heart that there are men and women that are sitting under my voice that God is trying to break. And you're not allowing him to. This is what happens. And, 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 and please, we'll get past this point in just a moment, I promise. But this is what happens. We get so content with where we are at that any type of change, we do not want to allow God to do that in our lives. We don't, allow, we don't want God to break us. We don't want God to change the path in which we are on because it's a comfortable path. It's a good path. It, it, it's a satisfactory path. And God gets in and he wants to begin to break you up. And you resist him and you say, no, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to break up my fallow ground. I'm happy with where I'm at. And then we wonder, why is it that God is not blessing our lives? Why is it that, that we feel like God is so far away from us? Listen, it's okay to get broken. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to allow your fields to be broken by God, to break up that fallow ground and no longer sow among the thorns, but allow God to have a rich harvest in your life. The word of God can break open the hard heart and allow the seed of scripture to bring forth fruit. If the soil of our hearts remains unbroken, God will not accomplish what he desires in our lives. I believe with all my heart that every person sitting under my voice, that God has a will for you. That God has a path for you. I really believe that. And it is our decision, it is our choice, if we are going to allow God to break us. Let me give you a personal illustration. I'll tell on myself because I'm certain no one wants me to tell on them, amen? Many of you know I worked in the armored car industry. And uh, can I tell you something? Uh, and I, I say this often, but I want to make sure I say it in the right tone. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working in that industry. I, I did well for our family financially. Uh, I, I went to work, and, and I didn't really all the time dread going to work because it was something new every day. It, was, it wasn't a job that you went to, and it was mundane, and it was the same thing every day. There were always problems. You lose a million dollars and see how you feel. A bank calls you and said, hey, the guy just showed up and he's $72,000 short. What are you going to do about it? Huh. Okay. Um, and, 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 and literally, the, the armored car company is the bank's bank. You, you and the Fed work together. And I remember when we moved to Michigan, my company moved me there. And I remember getting there and, 
and, and, and beginning to work and looking for a church. And can I tell you something? That, that's probably one of the hardest things to do with when you move is to find a church. It really is. You know, you're, you're searching it out. You're trying to find the place that you fit, the place where God's working in your life and feeding you. And, and you're looking all over and you're visiting church to church to church to church. And finally, God placed us in the church that we felt like was the right place. I didn't know the pastor, and I didn't think that the pastor knew me. But I was wrong. He had, he had heard about me after visiting for some time through my brother. And I was sitting in a classroom one Sunday morning in Sunday school. And I was sitting there, and I was listening to the pastor teach. We were in the pastor's class. We listened to the pastor teach. He finished teaching, and I'm telling you... The pastor and I had probably three conversations, and all three of them consisted of, hello, how are you today? And I'm sitting in the chair, and the pastor says, I'm going on vacation, and uh, I'll be back in two weeks. Oh, that's great. Let me, I, I would love to hear who's going to preach while the pastor's gone and really learn more about the church. And all of a sudden, something hit me in the chest. And I looked down, and it was the book that he was teaching out of. And he said, you're teaching the next two weeks. I looked behind me and I think I said, I think he missed. Maybe he was talking to you. And he said, no, Lee, I want you to do it. And I said, but you don't know me. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I know more about you than you think you do. Because God has already told me that you're running from him. And you need to figure it out. I'm not going back to that church. <laughs> you can have this book. <laughs> Sitting in church, I have no clue what he's preaching on. I'm just, I'm mad. <laughs> the Lord's jabbing at me, you know. And for about six months, him and I began to talk. And I'll never forget the day that God really broke me. And he said, Lee, you got, you've got two choices. You can either do what I've called you to do, or you can do what you've called yourself to do. One path is probably going to lead to fallow ground. And one path will lead to a life that will be blessed by me. When we finally give in and let God do what he wants to do, it's amazing what he will do. But you know what we have to do? We have to allow him to break us. We have to allow him to get our soil of our heart fertile. We have, he has to begin to work on us, to find us. And to use us in a way that he desires. I'm going to be real honest with you. And, I, and you know me. I, I, I probably sometimes say more than I should. But I'm just going to be real honest with you. Never in my life would I have imagined that God. And this is all God. It has nothing to do with me. That God would allow me to do what I'm doing today. But I can tell you something. It all went back to a decision that I made. In Shelby Township, Michigan. At 22 miles in Hayes at a church called Shelby Bible Church that changed my path. 
because God says it's either now or it's never. You know what I think? I think that there's times in our lives that we all hit that place. That we all look at our lives and we say, there, there are two different paths. The path that I desire and the path that God desires. And as much as we may say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know the direction God wants me to take. We really do. We just don't accept the direction that he's given to us. We don't like the path that, that he has placed in front of us because it may cause some sacrifice. It may cause some trouble. It may cause some turmoil. But God says, listen, just take the path. And allow me to use you in ways that you'll never be able to imagine. This is why it's vital for us to read our Bible, study God's word, be faithful to church where we can hear it preached and learned and taught. Number two, and I've got to hurry, the farmer plants. So, so, so first of all, he, he gets the ground ready and then he plants. To have good crops, the farmer must start with good seed. A great deal of study, work, uh, and care goes into the process of developing seed for thriving, productive crops. We have been given the perfect, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth for how long? Forever. Forever. My, the Word of God that we hold in our hands abideth forever. First of all, planting the seed. Planting the seed. Simply having the seed is not enough. The seed must be planted. Haggai 2.19, the Lord asked, is the seed yet still in the barn? In other words, crops cannot grow if the seed is left in the barn. So God asked his people, why have they neglected to plant the seed of the word of God? Here we are, most of us have been saved for a long time. Can I ask you the question, when's the last time you spread the seed of the word of God? Why is it still in the barn? Why are we not telling people about Jesus Christ? And, and, and God says it here, is the seed yet in the barn? Listen, go out and give it to people. We must not be hesitant about planting the precious seed with which we have been entrusted. We are, to, to, we are not to plant only when the circumstances are just right or when we are certain of the outcome. We are simply to do what God tells us to do and trust him to bring the harvest. Listen, everywhere we go, is a harvest field. Everywhere we go, seed can be planted. Everywhere we go, we have to tell people about Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 8, Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Notice that it was not Paul who controlled the harvest, but God. Paul simply planted. All of us can be faithful to plant to tell our, friend, our family, our friends, our co-workers about salvation. Invite them to come to church with you and relate what God has done in your life. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about a, a big day that's coming up uh, in September, Back to Church Sunday, and how that I want to encourage you to invite a family to your home and invite them to come in and have dinner and enjoy a night of, uh, of just fellowship with you, uh, uh, someone that doesn't go to church, and tell them, hey, listen, I would love for you to be our guest at church, planting the seed for God to give the increase. Some people will not respond to the gospel the first time they hear it. But if the seed is never planted, they will never respond. Let her be pruning the crops. Pruning the crops. There, there, there is a time for planting, and then obviously there's a time for pruning. A farmer cannot just walk away from the newly planted seed. He must care for the plants as they grow. The weeds must be removed to allow the seed to grow properly. 
Weeds will strangle the seed and young plants robbing the soil of moisture and nutrients that they need to grow. Can I tell you this? Weeds easily sprout in our lives. Weeds easily sprout in our lives. Through uh, uh, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions and habits that hinder and strangle our Christian growth. Can I tell you something in this church, church this morning? Be careful. Be very careful about what you allow into your lives. Say, Pastor, you're being hard this morning. I, I know, but God, God has really moved me in this way this morning. And so I, I, I just feel that we need to share it. We need to be very cautious about what we allow into our homes. I'm not against many things as far as, you know, I, your, your, your family has to decide what's right for your family. And I understand that. And I'm not here to tell you one way or the other. But what I am here to tell you is that corruption sets in in families. And normally it starts very small. Normally it's, well, that's okay. That, that's acceptable this time. That's acceptable this time. Well, we normally wouldn't allow that in our homes, but this time it's okay. And it's those this times that turn into every time. Listen to me. You, you may not realize the things that you allow into your homes could end up being the thing that destroys your home. You see, as adults, we look at things and, and we translate them one way in our minds. But if we allow our young people to see the same thing, they're translating it in a different way. And then if we allow our children to see the same things, they're translating in a different way. I just want to say this, that I think it's important that we have discerning minds and discerning hearts about what we allow into our homes. You see, I remember growing up and going out to the garden... And I remember my dad, there, we, we were surrounded by 10 acres, and we had our, our, our two acres of veg, veg, uh, the, the vegetable garden. And on one side of the vegetable garden, there was thorns. They were terrible thorns. They were thorns that you walk into them, and you're going to walk away with scrapes and all kinds of stuff. And I remember my dad, every time we would go out to the garden, he would take a pair of clippers with him. And he would clip those thorns, and he would, it was almost like a path that he would take. And I would say, Dad, those, those aren't even touching the garden. He said, but tomorrow they will be. He said, if we let them go, tomorrow they'll be touching the garden. He said, and the next day they'll be strangling the crops. And this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, thorns grow quickly. He said, and left unnoticed will kill everything that we have. And you know, when we think about our own lives, if we're not very careful, the small thorns that are sitting on the edge that we just ignore 
One day we're going to wake up and they're going to be destroying our families. Be very careful about what you allow into your homes. Jesus further explained how the seed is choked in our life. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, a word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Our Heavenly Father has a shape and a design in mind for each of us and we need to allow him to prune us, removing from our lives anything that does not fit for his will. Number three, and I promise I'm done, the, the farmer possesses. The farmer possesses. The fall of the year brings many things to mind. We think of the colors of foliage, of cornucopias filled with fruits and vegetables, of the Thanksgiving holiday and the cool weather, amen. Uh, you are still with me. And all that means to us as Christians, and we certainly think of harvest. Harvest time is the farmer's reward for months of preparing the soil and planting and pruning the crops. It is inconceivable that after all this work, a farmer would stop short of gathering the harvest. Letter A, the time of harvest is now. The time of the harvest is now. Now is the time that we need to just get to the place where God wants us to be so that the harvest can come. God's word says the fields of this world are white or ripe unto harvest. John chapter 4, say ye not, there is yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying uh, true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye entered into their labors. Listen, it is now time to harvest. If ripe crops are left in the field just a little too long, they will rot. Perhaps you've seen this in your own garden. If the harvest is not gathered at the proper time, it will soon be worthless. Farmers clearly understand the urgency of the harvest. They work day and night to bring crops in at the proper time. We need to ask the Lord to give us a sense of urgency for the ripe harvest field with souls. And it starts with us finding that place where God wants us to be and then being able to share it with other people. The time of harvesting brings rejoicing. Can I tell you something? That when you're doing exactly what God has called you to do and what God has designed for you to do, there will be rejoicing. There will be happiness. I know this morning as we begin to search our own hearts and our own lives. It's not always easy. It's not always easy for us to, to, to take a checkup, to see where we are at compared to where God wants us to be. But I think it's very, very important. Is there anything between you and God? Is there anything that maybe needs to be checked up? Maybe God has called you to do something and, and you've been turning away from it. Maybe God's trying to break you and you've been refusing to allow him to. Maybe God is trying to do something in your heart and in your life and, and you really don't want him to because you're afraid of what, it might, what might happen. Can I tell you that the harvest would truly be great you just give in to what God wants you to do. Maybe you've allowed things into your own life that are beginning to cause thorns, beginning to, to literally choke your Christian life. 
Can I tell you that now is the time to get rid of them? Now is the time to give them over to God. What is it that God wants you to do today? May you bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for listening so well today.